Chapter 10 of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Diana Schmidt. April's Lady by Margaret Wolfe Hungerford. Chapter 10 Nature has sometimes made a fool. The fiddles are squeaking, the cellos are groaning. The man with the cornet is making a most ungodly row. As yet, the band have the ballroom all to themselves and are certainly making the most of their time. Such unearthly noises rarely, if ever, have been heard in it before. Why they couldn't have tuned their instruments before coming is a question that fills the butler's mind with wrath. But perhaps the long journey down from Dublin would have untuned them all again and left the players of them disconsolate. The dismal sounds penetrate into the rooms right and left of the ballroom, but fail to kill the melancholy sweetness of the dripping fountains or the perfume of the hundred flowers that give their sleeping draughts to all those who chose to come and inhale them mild draughts that please the senses without stealing them the sounds even penetrate to the library where joyce is standing before the low fire that even in this july evening burns upon the hearth fastening her long gloves she had got down before the others and now finding the room empty half wishes herself back again upstairs but she is so young so full of a fresh delight in all the gaiety around her that she had hurried over her dressing and with the first dismal sounds of the toning had turned her steps its way the library seems cold to her bare unfriendly had she expected to meet somebody there before her somebody who had promised to get a fresh tie in a hurry but who had possibly forgotten all about it in the joy of an after-dinner cigar? It seems a long time since that first day when she had been startled by his sudden reappearance at the court. A long, long time. Soon this last visit of hers to the court must come to an end. The Baltimores will be going abroad in a fortnight or so, and he with them. The summer is waning, dreary autumn coming he will go and a sense of dissatisfaction sits heavily on her toning down to rather a too cruel a degree the bright expectancy of her face he had said he would come and now she drums in a heavy-hearted listless fashion on the table with the tips of her pale gloves and noticing half-consciously in so doing that they have not been sufficiently drawn up her arm mechanically fits them closer to the taper fingers certainly he had said he would be here early you know before the others can get down a quick frown grows upon her forehead and now that the fingers are quiet the little foot begins to beat a tattoo upon the ground leaning against the table in a graceful attitude with the lamplight streaming on her pretty white frock she gives a loose rein to her thoughts they are a little angry a little frightened perhaps during the past week had he not said many things that in the end proved void of meaning he had haunted her in a degree 
at certain hours certain times had loitered through gardens lingered in conservatories by her side whispered many things looked so very many more but there were other times other opportunities for philandering she does not give it this unpleasant name how has he spent them a vague thought of miss maliphant crosses her mind that he laughs at the plain good-natured heiress to her joyce had not prevented the fact that he is very attentive to her at times principally such times as when joyce may reasonably be supposed to be elsewhere human reason however often fails short of the mark and there have been unsuspected moments during the past week when miss cavanagh has by chance appeared upon the scene of mr beauclerk's amusements and has found that miss maliphant has had a good deal to do with them but then that poor poor girl you know here beauclerk's joyous laugh would ring forth for joyce's benefit such a good girl and so er don't you know he was certainly always a little vague he didn't explain himself miss cavanagh looking back on all he had ever said against the heiress is obliged to confess to herself that the great er had had to express everything contempt dislike kindly disdain he was always kindly he made quite a point of that truly thinks miss cavanagh to herself after this retrospective glance er is the greatest word in the english language and so it is it declares it conceals it conveys a laugh it suggests a frown it helps a sorrowful confession it adorns a lame one it is kindly as giving time it is cruel as being full of sarcasm it in fact what is it it cannot do joyce's feet have grown quite steady now she has placed her hands on the table behind her and thus compelled to lean a little forward stands studying the carpet without seeing it a sense of anger of shame against herself is troubling her if he should not be in earnest if he should not like her as she likes him she rouses herself suddenly as if stung by some thought like is the word it has gone no deeper yet it shall not he is handsome he has his charm but if she is not all the world to him why he shall not be all the world to her if it is money he craves for the restoration of that old home of his why money let it be but there shall not be the two things the desire of one for filthy lucre the desire of the other for love he shall decide she has grown very pale she has drawn herself up to her full height and her lips are pressed together and now a strange thought comes to her if if she loved him could she bear thus to analyze him to take him to pieces to dissect him as it were once again that feeling of fear oppresses her is she so cold so deliberate in herself that she suspects others of coldness after all if he does love her if he only hesitates because 
a step outside the door instinctively she glances at one of the long mirrors that line the walls from floor to ceiling involuntarily her hands rush to her head she gives a little touch to her gown and now is sitting in a lounging chair a little pale still perhaps but in all other respects the very picture of unconsciousness it is it must be it isn't however mr brown opening the door in his own delightful breezy fashion that generally plays old harry with the hinges and blows the ornaments off the nearest tables advances toward her with arms outspread and the liveliest admiration writ upon his features which to say the truth are of goodly proportions oh thou wonder of the world cries he in accents ecstatic he has been reading cleopatra the most charming of books assiduously for the past few days during which time he has made himself an emphatic nuisance to his friends perpetual quotations however apt or salutary proving as a rule a bore that will do dicky we all know about that says miss kavanagh who is a little unnerved a little impatient perhaps mr brown however is above being snubbed by any one he continues on his way rejoicing thou living flame cries he making what he fondly supposes to be a stage attitude thou thing of beauty thou flesh-pot of egypt he has at last surpassed himself he stands silent waiting for the plaudits of the crowd the crowd however is unappreciative nonsense says miss kavanagh shortly i wonder you aren't tired of making people tired your eternal quotations would destroy the patience of an anchorite and as for that last sentence of yours you know very well it isn't in ryder haggard's book he'd have been ashamed of it would he bet you he wouldn't and if it isn't in his book all i can say is it ought to have been mere oversight leaving it out he will be sorry if i drop him a line about it shouldn't wonder if it produced a new edition but for my part i believe it is in the book fleshpots egypt you know hardly possible to separate em now from the public mind well he could separate them anyway there isn't a single word about them in the book from start to finish no do you say so here mr brown grows lost in thought flesh-pots pots hot pots hot potting ha he draws himself together with all the manner of one who has gone down deep into a thing and comes up from it full of knowledge i've mixed those babies up says he mildly but still i can hardly believe that that last valuable addition to mr haggard's work is all my own distinctly your own with a suggestion of scorn completely thrown away upon the receiver of it do you say so by jove and very neat too didn't think i had it in me after all to write a book is an easy matter here am i who never thought about it was able to form an entire sentence full of the most exquisite wit and humor without so much as knowing i was doing it 
tell you what joyce i'll send it to the author with a card and my compliments you know horrid thing to be mean about anything and if i can help him out with a nine hundred ninety-ninth edition or so i'll be doing him a good turn eh i suppose you think you are amusing says miss kavanagh regarding him with a critical eye my good child i know that expression says mr brown amiably i know it by heart it means that you think i'm a fool it's politer nowadays to look things than to say them but wait a while and you'll see come i bet you a shilling to a sovereign that he'll be delighted with my suggestion and put it into his next edition without delay no charge given away the lot for a penny three farthings in fact i make it a present to him noble eh give it to him for nothing about its price says miss kavanagh thoughtfully think you so you are dull to-night jocelyn flashes of wit pass you by without warming you yet i tell you this idea that has flowed from my brain is a priceless one never mind the door he's not coming yet attend to me who's not coming demands she the more angrily and that she was growing miserably aware of the brilliant color that is slowly but surely bedecking her cheeks never mind it's a mere detail attend to me and i entreat you says mr brown who is now quite in his element having made sure of the fact that she is expecting somebody it doesn't matter in the least who to mr brown expectation is the thing wherein to catch the embarrassment of miss kavanagh and forthwith he sets himself gaily to the teasing of her attend to what says she with a little frown if you had studied your bible jocelyn with that care that i should have expected from you you would have remembered that forty odd years the israelites hankered after those very flesh-pots of egypt to which i have been alluding now i appeal to you as a sensible girl would anybody hanker after anything for forty years very odd years as it happens unless it was to their advantage to get it unless indeed the object pursued was priceless you ask too much of this sensible girl says miss kavanagh with a carefully manufactured yawn really dear dicky you must forgive me if i say i haven't gone into it as yet and that i don't suppose i shall ever see the necessity for going into it but my good child you must see that those respectable people the israelites wouldn't have pursued a mere shadow for forty years that's just what i don't see there are such a number of fools everywhere in every age that one couldn't tell this is evasion says mr brown sternly to bring you face to face with facts must be my very unpleasant if distinct duty joyce do you dare to doubt for one moment that i speak aught but the truth will you deny that cleopatra that old serpent of the ha <laughs> ha laughs joyce ironically i wish she could hear you your life wouldn't be worth a moment's purchase mere slip 
serpent of old nile doesn't matter in the least says mr brown airily because she couldn't hear me as it happens my dear girl follow out the argument cleopatra metaphorically speaking was a flesh-pot because the world hankered after her and you're another really dicky i must protest against you talking slang to me where does the slang come in you're another flesh-pot i meant to say or convey because we all hanker after you do you with rising wrath may i ask what hankering means you had better not says mr brown mysteriously it was one of the rites of ancient chem now there is one thing dicky says miss kavanagh her wrath boiling over i won't be called names i won't be called a flesh-pot you'll draw the line there if you please my dear girl why not those delectable pots must have been bric-a-brac of the most recherche description of a most delectable shape no doubt of a pattern tint formation general get-up not to be hoped for in these prosaic days nonsense indignantly she is fairly roused now and mr brown regarding her with a proud eye tells himself he is about to have his reward at last you know very well that the term flesh-pots referred to what was in the pots not to the pots themselves that's all you know about that's where your fatal ignorance comes in my poor joyce says he with immense compassion search your bible from cover to cover and i defy you to find a single mention of the contents of those valuable bits of bric-a-brac of flesh-pots heavy emphasis on the pots and ten fingers down at once if you please we read continually as being hankered after by the israelites who then as now were evidently avid collectors you've been having champagne dicky says miss kavanagh regarding him with a judicial eye so have you but i can't see what that excellent beverage has got to do with the ancient jews keep to the point did you ever hear that they expressed a longing for the flesh of egypt no so far so good the pots themselves were the object of their admiration during that remarkable run of theirs through the howling wilderness they one and all to a man betrayed the true aesthetic tendency they raved incessantly for the girl i beg pardon the land they had left behind them the land that contained those priceless jars i wonder how you can be so silly says miss kavanagh disdainfully will he never go away if he stays and if the other comes silly my good child how silly why everything goes to prove the probability of my statement the taste for articles of vertu for antiquities for fossils of all descriptions that characterized them then has lived to the present day then they worried after old china and who shall deny that now they have an overwhelming affection for old clothes well your folly doesn't concern me says miss kavanagh gathering up her skirts with an evident intention 
of shaking off the dust of his presence from her feet and quitting him i am sorry that you should consider it folly says mr brown sorrowfully i should not have said so much about it perhaps but that i wanted to prove to you that in calling you a fleshpot i only meant to i won't be called that interrupts miss kavanagh angrily it's horrid it makes me feel quite fat now once and for all dicky i forbid it i won't have it i don't see how you are to get out of it says mr brown shaking his head and hands in wild deprecation fleshpots were desirable articles you're another ergo you're a fleshpot see the argument no i don't indignantly i see only you and i wish i didn't very rude very says mr brown regretfully yet i entreat thee not to leave me without one other word follow up the argument do give me an answer to it not one walking to the door that's because it is unanswerable says mr brown complacently you are beaten you there is a sound outside the door joyce with her hand on the handle of it steps back and looks round nervously at dicky a quick color has dyed her cheeks instinctively she moves a little to one side and gives a rapid glance into a long mirror i don't think really he could find a fault says mr brown mischievously i should think there would be a good deal of hankering going on tonight miss kavanagh has only just barely time to wither him when beauclerk comes hurriedly in End of chapter ten